You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. That indictment of Iranian hackers, it's still coming and expected to send a naming and shaming message to Iran. Onion Dog still looks like a North Korean threat actor. Palo Alto thinks it spotted the long-suspected, much-looked-for digital quartermaster. The Department of Justice has the president on its side in the dispute with Apple, but that looks like about it. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 15th, 2016. The U.S. government is said to be winding up an indictment of Iranian hackers. The Department of Justice is expected to charge Iranian cyber operators with intrusions during 2013 into networks controlling that now-famous small flood control dam in Rye, New York. The indictment is said to represent the U.S. administration's way of sending a message to Tehran. Should the indictments appear as expected, they will be the first charges the U.S. Department of Justice has brought against a foreign government's cyber operators since 2014, when it indicted six People's Liberation Army officers for hacking U.S. industrial networks. Observers call this the latest round in the U.S. administration's name-and-shame policy, and they will watch with interest for signs that this policy might be working. The New York congressional delegation, especially in the form of Senator Schumer, appears to be front-running the attribution and calling for a vigorous response. Schumer calls the alleged Iranian probe of the dam's network a shot across our bow and says it should warrant tough sanctions against Iran. Chinese security firm Kihu 360 has been tracking threat actor Onion Dog's activities. The hackers have been active in Korean-speaking enterprises. Read that specifically as South Korean enterprises. North Korean resentment aside, speculation about who's behind the Onion Dog threat group and its attacks on South Korean targets is largely directed toward, obviously, North Korea. Palo Alto's Unit 42 is reporting on the digital quartermaster phenomenon, which it perceives as an ongoing campaign against Mongolian government sites. A digital quartermaster is a conjectured support service that maintains attack tools used in a range of cyber campaigns. The notion of a digital quartermaster is, Palo Alto notes, a relatively old one that's been discussed within the U.S. intelligence community for some time. In this case, Palo Alto thinks it's found persuasive evidence that a digital quartermaster is enabling a current campaign against Mongolian government websites. The campaign, which targets Russian-speaking operators through a variety of attack vectors, is using a common set of tools that credibly point to a single group of developers. Those tools include, most prominently, the CM Star Downloader and the BBS Rat Trojan. Unit 42 thinks the attack traffic's geolocation suggests the hackers are located in China, but stops short of attributing the campaign to the Chinese government. Palo Alto concludes, quote, While there may be multiple operations groups, a digital quartermaster may be the one supplying and maintaining the tools used. End quote. 
Should there in fact be digital quartermasters out there, their supply sergeants might take a look at inventory control because it seems the quartermasters are having trouble keeping criminals out of their tool bins. Reuters reports on the basis of studies by Dell SecureWorks, Attack Research, InGuardians, and GC Partners that a new sophisticated ransomware that's hitting targets in the U.S. and elsewhere is using tactics and tools previously associated with Chinese government-supported computer network intrusions. Specifically, researchers are seeing some advanced techniques for entry into and lateral movement around networks. They're also seeing intrusion management software they associate with state-directed operations. Staminus, which offers Internet hosting optimized for DDoS protection, continues its recovery from an attack it sustained over the weekend. The attacker's motivation initially appeared to have been objection to some Staminus clients, but the crowing over their ability to get in and their arguably smug offer of security tips suggests that coup counting and lulls may have also been goals as important as slacktivist opposition to the KKK. As is so often the case, motives are probably overdetermined. The crypto wars continue unabated in the U.S., with the Department of Justice occupying what seems to be an increasingly lonely position. President Obama, at least, is on the DOJ's side. He sought to frame the department's position as a sensible, public-spirited one during his remarks at South by Southwest. But the president seems to have found few takers. Most of the industry people who listened weren't convinced. The Defense Department, of course, as it's continued to woo Silicon Valley for help with its cyber missions, has offered essentially no support to the FBI position the Justice Department is advocating. Most of the former senior intelligence community officials who've weighed in are on Team Apple. Richard Clark, who served three presidents as National Coordinator for Security and Counterterrorism, told NPR yesterday that, quote, the Justice Department and the FBI are on their own here, end quote, more interested in setting a precedent than in simply cracking open one iPhone. He also thought there were other national means of getting at the data on the phone if it really is that important. We spoke with Jonathan Katz of the University of Maryland Cybersecurity Center and asked him about the case. We'll hear from him after the break. As we've been following researchers working in cyber threat intelligence, we've had occasion to note the importance they attach to framing the questions they're tasked to answer. Some of them have fun with the notion that you could actually derive useful intelligence without posing intelligent questions. Here's a fun fact we learned at RSA, for example. Palo Alto Networks calls its intelligence team Unit 42. That's an homage to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where the Deep Thought computer delivers 42 as the answer to the ultimate questions of life, the universe, and everything. Of course, the people who program Deep Thought never actually knew what that question was. Don't be like that. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Banta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Joined once again by Jonathan Katz, Professor of Computer Science at the University of Maryland and Director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center, one of our academic and research partners. Jonathan, NPR's Morning Edition interviewed former national security official Richard Clark about the Apple-FBI dispute. And NPR's David Green asked Clark if he was still inside the government as a counterterrorism official, would he be more sympathetic to the FBI in doing everything he can to crack the case? Clark responded, quote, if I were in the job right now, I would have simply told the FBI to call Fort Meade, the headquarters of the National Security Agency, and NSA would have solved this problem for them, end quote. My question to you, with your expertise in cryptography, how grounded in reality is that statement? There are some cryptographic problems that even the NSA can't solve. I remember I spoke with you a few weeks back about uh, certain physical limits to the amount of computation that we can possibly do. And in particular, it would be infeasible for anybody to do a brute force search over a 256-bit key space, because that would require doing a search over 2 to the 256 different possible keys. So it's not a matter of simply uh, lining up enough hardware to be able to, to throw at the problem. Yeah, that's right. So there would be no way for the NSA to do a brute force search for the key. But what we have to remember here is that there may be other ways to break the system. For example, in the case of the uh, iPhone here that we're talking about, Remember that it all comes down to being able to determine the four-digit pin that's used to protect the 256-bit key. And in turn, that pin is protected by a hardware mechanism that locks down the phone after 10 incorrect guesses. So if the NSA could somehow get access to the hardware itself and break the assumption or break the hardware that's preventing them from making an unlimited number of guesses for the pin, then in fact the NSA might be able to get the pin some other way and then obtain access to that 256-bit key, not by doing a brute force search. I see. So it's not so much that the NSA has uh, their, their cryptographic capabilities. It's that they may have systems for just simply dealing with the hardware in the phone. Exactly. In general, uh, for any system you're talking about, um, the best way to attack it is, of course, by looking for the weakest link. And in this particular example, the weakest link would not be doing the brute force search for the key, but it would be attacking the uh, recovery mechanism, uh, attacking the hardware that's preventing them from doing the unlimited number of guesses. Jonathan Katz, thanks again for joining us. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With Identity Orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. 
Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K Cyberwire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. <laughs>